Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. It's a great uh, privilege, amen, to, to um, have these acquaintances, and over the years we move all around the world, and we meet people, and uh, I'm counting you. Uh, you know, being uh, our friends, but of course your brothers and sisters, and um, looking forward to seeing you, maybe some of you in uh, the impact team in September, we'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll do all kinds of things, Jesus doesn't come back soon, we'll be able to bring the team from Romania here, yeah. who knows what God will do, amen. Alright, so I'm going to um, preach from um, Genesis. If you go there in Genesis uh, chapter 50, we're going to read from 15 to 21. Genesis 50, 15 to 21. And it's, uh, my wife gives good testimony. Um, back in the, when I, we were teenagers, in our city, in Brasov, there was a, a news that shook the whole city. This is like, Brasov is like 300,000 people. But the news was that there was a teenage girl named Florina, and that she committed suicide. That she jumped from 10th floor. And it was so unusual, because people didn't do that in Romania back then, especially teenagers. You know, how many of you know for somebody who just starts life to come to the conclusion that life is over, it's kind of strange because it's just beginning. But all the newspapers rushed and all the television and uh, they asked the mother what, you know, what was the problem and they found a note. Uh, she wrote a note before she committed suicide and in that note it said that she's not a good enough daughter for her wonderful mother. And so she felt that it's better if she goes away. And so what Florina was feeling was shame. Uh, so I want to preach about shame. And we need to get free from shame. And shame is your value of yourself. You think you don't measure up to whatever you think people expect from you or God expects from you. And when you think about your performance, the way you are, you say to yourself, I'm not good enough. And you feel ashamed. And um, this is not guilt. It's very important to find this distinction. Because as Christians, we know how to deal with guilt. How many of you know if you, if you do something wrong, you feel guilt because you are guilty? So guilt is very good. It's like a conscience. But we know how to deal with guilt. Hebrews says the blood of Jesus can wash our conscience. And so if we are guilty, we go to God, we ask forgiveness. He forgives us, and we're not guilty anymore. But shame is different. So I found out that many Christians, they know how to deal with guilt, but not with shame. So in the text we're going to read, the story of Joseph, you all know the story of Joseph, that he was sold into slavery and all these things. And later, the, he, you know, the brothers come to buy food from Egypt. Remember, Joseph is sitting there and he acts like he's an Egyptian. He talks to the interpreter. And these guys, you know, and he says to them, you're spies. No, no, we're not spies. No, you are spies. And then he speaks tough to them and they say, no, no, actually, we're good people. We're, we're 12 brothers. And one is dead. And one is at home because he's the young one. And 
the father didn't want to release him. And the ten of us were here. And so Joseph says to them, all right, so for you to prove that you're not spies, one, one, one of your brothers is dead, but the other one is at home, so bring your, your brother. No, 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 the father says he's going to die. And then they say, okay, don't see my face until you bring. So they bring, they go home, and it says to the father, you know, we need to bring our small brother. No, 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 because I'm going to die. He's the only other one from, from the same wife, from Rachel. And then they run out of food again. So the father says, go up and buy food again. And they said, no, no, no. So in the end, you know the story how Joseph cannot take this anymore. And he begins to cry, and he begins to say, I'm Joseph. And they are like, I mean, can you imagine that you go someplace to buy food, and the guy who's in charge of the whole world, like Donald Trump, says, you know, I'm your brother. So <laughs> it cannot be. And then what happens, Joseph embraces his guys, and he forgives them. He says, you know what, I forgive you. Don't worry. You meant for good, but God is good. I forgive you. So they hug each other, and they're forgiven, right? They're forgiven. And then he says to them, okay, you bring your father, you bring our father, and you're going to live here in Egypt. So they come all to Egypt, and they live there for 17 years. So you need to understand. Now they're forgiven for 17 years. They live with Joseph. Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And the brothers is us. <laughs> because, you know, we were not perfect in life. But Joseph, Jesus, forgave us. But 17 years later, when the father dies, Jacob, these brothers are saying to themselves, now Joseph will get revenge on us. And they begin to lie to Joseph saying, oh, your father before he died, he said, please don't kill my sons. And Joseph is listening to this and he's crying and he's saying to these guys, guys, I did forgive you 17 years ago. If I wanted to kill you, I would have done it already. Relax. But these guys are in their 60s now. They're in their 70s, 50s. And they still, they're forgiven, but they still feel the shame of what they've done. So let's speak about shame. And we're going to pick up the story here in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us? And pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, for, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin. For they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them. And spoke kindly to them. So let's define shame further because the difference between guilt and shame, we need to understand that. Guilt is when you do something wrong and you did a mistake. But shame is when you are a mistake. So how many of you know if you make a mistake, you can recover? But if you are a mistake, there's nothing you can do. You... If you do or something wrong, it's always against some commandments. You broke the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh commandment. But shame is what you feel towards people or a person or God. It's how you think people perceive you. So Florina said, I'm not a good enough daughter. 
That's how my mother sees me. She's not guilty per se. She did not do something wrong. But she feels she doesn't measure up. So these guys, the brothers of Joseph, imagine that they, you know, they sold him. And later, the father finds out that Joseph is still alive. They all go to Egypt. And now the father wants to hear the story. How come Joseph is still alive? And they all hang their heads in shame. And they had to admit that actually we sold him. So now they need to live with that shame. Can you imagine that the father is looking in their eyes? Saying, how, how did you do that? Shame is sometimes the reason why backsliders don't come back to church. You meet them on the street, you say, come back to church, God will forgive you. And they say, I know. If they've been to the church, they know God can forgive them. But they say, but we cannot face the pastor. We cannot face the people. Because we're ashamed. They know how to get rid of guilt. But they don't know how to get rid of shame. Sometimes you have pastors who go out and pioneer. Sometimes it doesn't work out. They come home for redirection. How many of you know that they did nothing wrong? How many of you understand these guys, they gave it all, they came back. It didn't work. They're not guilty, but they can feel shame. Because somehow they didn't measure up. Because somehow they think we fell short and we disappointed the pastor or the church or people who invested the money or the impact teams. And, and they can feel ashamed, like they can feel like a failure. Sometimes you can have that with uh, children. The mother of Florina was shocked that the teenage daughter committed suicide. And she said, I never beat her up. I never beat her up. But what I did, she said, I always pointed out that she's not a good student, that she's disappointing me, and that she makes me ashamed because she's not measuring up. So this mother didn't realize that she kept putting her down, and she began to feel shame. Every child wants to please their parents. Children, they want to please their parents. Children want to find out that you're pleased with them, that you're proud of them. And so if you're constantly pointing what's wrong with them, it can produce shame. can produce inferiority in the kids. can be also shame uh, can be felt in marriage. You know, we'll, we all get married so that we have somebody to say to us how wonderful we are. That's why we get married. But if a partner continues to always say, you, you don't do this right, you don't do this right, I'm not pleased with you here and here and here, the people can feel shame that they don't measure up they're not good enough. can be people, can be disciplined from ministries, and they can be feeling ashamed. So if you feel shame, which is inferiority or the feeling that you don't measure up, or you don't rise to the expectations either of God or people or pastor or husband or wife or parents, there are some results of that. So I want to look at the results of shame. Because this girl is a very extreme case. She committed suicide. But there are other results. First of all, your relationship with God is always affected. You cannot have a good relationship with God if you feel ashamed in your relationship with God. Because you can never have a good relationship with somebody that you think is not pleased with you. You know, growing up, I always craved the approval of my father. But he never praised me. Because in the Romanian culture, if you want to motivate somebody, if you want to make him do better, you never praise him. Because if you praise him, he's going to think he's good enough, and he's not going to try more. So growing up, I, uh, I was a good student, and I 
But I always came second in my class. So out of 30 people, 30 kids, I was second. So that's, you know, pretty good. But my father always said, that's not good. Because you're the first loser. Because it's not good. And he said to me, if you will become first, then I will buy you a bike. Right? So I never got the bike. So I hated this guy. I still see his face. Because he was always better. And so this became one of my secrets because your pastor wrote me an email saying, can you ride the bike with your wife in Washington so that we can go you know, faster to visit more? So, but I had to tell him that I cannot ride a bike. <laughs> so I can drive a car, but I never got the bike. So... I always tried to please my father, but he said, you're not good enough. When I played soccer, he would come and watch sometimes, and he would point out what I did wrong, never what I did good. So, but he loved me, but he, in his mind, he wants to motivate me. And so what, what happened is when I was a pastor already, I, I go, I have now a good relationship with my parents, and I go to my father's house, and what happens is every Romanian has a picture on the wall with all their kids when the children were seven years old because that's where you go first year in school. So you go to every Romanian's house and they have this big picture with the kids when they were seven. So there's my picture there, you know, when I was seven. And in a moment of inspiration, I took this picture and I looked on the back. And on the back, it said, my father wrote back then when I was seven, he wrote, this is Mitika when he was seven years old. He won second prize in school. And then he said, bravo. I was like, what? So I was thinking, if he would say this word to me back then, it would change my whole life, literally. My life would have been a different life. But he never said it. But he, but he felt it. So let me tell you, if you're a parent, if you're a wife, if you're a husband, if you're, you know what, if you're proud of your people, just tell them. You know, what are you waiting for? Like, I realized later that um, you, you, you crave the approval, and so, but I thought he's not pleased with me, therefore I never had a good relationship with my father. Sometimes he would say to me, come sit here on my lap. And I would sit on his lap, but I was very uncomfortable. I want to I run. I want to finish. Are you finished? You know, what do you want to ask me? So if you come to this room, I go to the other room. We're only at two. So if, if he goes to the other room, I go outside. So I never was relaxed. So let me ask you, are you relaxed in your father's arms? Because God is your father. But if you think he's not pleased with you, then you will never have a good relationship with your father. You will say, you will pray to him, oh God, you know, but it's, it's not father. It's not daddy. It's not my father It's pleased with me. And many Christians, they know that God loves them because God loves everybody. You know, people say, God loves you. Of course he loves me. He loves, you know, he loves criminals. He loves, you know, he loves me, but does he like me? Well, I don't know. I didn't pray, I didn't read enough of the Bible. Sometimes I miss outreach, sometimes I, I, I sin, or sometimes I, you know, I, I, I do mistakes, and, you know, but, 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 but I will do better, I will do better. So we feel that God is saying to us, you're not good enough. We will never have a good relationship with, with him. You remember the guy in the Bible who, the master gave him a talent, and he was like, Oh, I thought you're harsh, master. God is not harsh. But if you perceive him as being harsh, then that's what he will be for you. He says, you, so you think I'm harsh? That's what I'll be. Because God is for you what you think he is for you. You know, he's not here to talk. So whatever you hear from him. Remember Jesus, he heard the words, this is my beloved son. In which I'm well pleased. You need to hear these words. 
Because he says that about you. But do you hear? Because if you hear these words, then your life is changed. When I heard these words, it was not a long time ago, to be honest. My whole life I was struggling. How does God see me? Am I good enough? But when I heard the words, I'm well pleased with you. Then it changed my life and my relationship with God. Because now I know not only he loves me, but he's pleased with me. If I do wrong, he can punish me. You know, it's normal as a parent. But that's it. He's never angry with me. Because all the anger he put on Jesus Christ. And so, Peter said to Jesus, go from me because I'm a sinful person. And Jesus said, no, 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 actually I like you. Actually, I think you can be something. And Peter was like, okay, if you think so. Then he followed him for three years, then then he denied him. And then he felt so ashamed, right? And then he went fishing, and Jesus sought for him. And he says, do you love me, Peter? He says, yes, I do love you, but I failed. I'm ashamed. Didn't I tell you three years ago, go away from me because I am not the guy you want to mess up with? I'm a sinful guy. Go to this good guy. I told you, Jesus, and you said you believed in me. Now what? Now I proved that I was right all this time. It's not for me. I'm a fisherman. I'm a sinful man. Sometimes disciples call me out of the blue and say, Pastor, are you still angry with me? I was like, what? Why should I be angry with you? Oh, because this, this, this happened. And I said, look, I forgot. <laughs> you know, I move on. Sometimes I rebuke a disciple. Next, time I, next day I have him do an altar call. And he's like, what, me? I thought I'm not going to preach for two years now. I said, no, I'm not angry with you. I just corrected you, and that's it. You know, if we think God is angry with us, we're not going to have a good relationship. And then there's, a, there's another consequence of shame. If we feel ashamed, we're going to put other people down. That's the problem. People who don't feel the praise cannot praise. I found out in my life, even as a pastor, that it was hard for me to praise my disciples or to praise my kids or to praise. Why, why can't you? Well, because I never heard the words. You cannot say the words. So you have the tendency to put people down. Why did Joseph's brother, brothers treated Joseph this way? It says that they could not speak a good word to him. They could not speak good words to him. Like, we're proud of you. You're our little brother. They couldn't say good words to him. Why? Because they were ashamed. They were shamed by their father. Remember, their father loved Joseph more than them. Don't do that with your kids. Love them equally. Because if you love one more than the others, the others will feel they're secondhand. They're, they're not, you know, our father is not pleased with us. And they became villains. They were putting Joseph down because they were shamed by their father. There's another consequence that you're expecting the worst in life. These guys are 17 years expecting this is the day we're going to get revenge. This is the day Joseph will kill us. Because I know he forgave us, but you know what? One of these days he will tell us, no, I tricked you. Now you are mine. Now you're here. I'm the king of Egypt. Do you remember when I was begging you not to put me in the pit? And these guys are living a horrible life. How many of you know this is not a good life? When you're 70 and you're still expecting every day something wrong to happen to you because of what you've done. Because somehow God will get you. Because somehow God will finally say, I did a mistake when I saved you. I want you to pay for the past. One time there was a preacher who preached in our church in Ploesh that God can give you a better job. 
And one disciple came to me afterwards saying, Pastor, I believe God can give me a better job because God is, God is all-powerful. God can do that. I have no doubt to believe that. But do I deserve it? So he, in his mind, he would not even pray with boldness. In his mind, God will be like, what? What do you want? A better job? Who, you? Did you read the Bible this week? What? Three chapters? Okay, that's what kind of job you get for three chapters. What do, we, what do, you, what do you want for three chapters? If you read 30 chapters, then you are worthy, and then I will give you this and that. In other words, you expect the worst. And then another consequence is it steals your joy. I mean, these guys don't have any joy in their relationship with Joseph. Now they live with Joseph. Remember, he's a type of Jesus Christ. They're forgiven. And they have this relationship. But there's no joy. So I see Christians. They have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus forgave them. And they're, they're happy for that. They're pleased with that. But there's no joy in their relationship with God. Because they cannot feel joy because they feel ashamed. So let's talk about the cure. Because I was thinking, how can you get rid of shame? Again, if you're guilty, you ask forgiveness, you're forgiven. That's it. But how, what is God's solution for shame? Because it's not the blood of Jesus. For guilt is the blood of Jesus. But what's the solution for shame then? And the solution is in this word, dignity. And I will speak to you about two concepts that are very powerful that you need to really grasp. Jesus is not just this judge who in the judgment day says, okay, I'm the judge. I'm going to judge the whole world. Okay, who's next? And then you come, and he says, uh, okay, your, your sins are here, and so what's your justification? And you say, I received Jesus. I have, you know, the, okay, that's, that's good enough. Your sins were paid. You're not going to go to hell. You go to heaven. Next. But Jesus knows that's only dealing with guilt. But the shame, he dealt with that because he said, I'm not only your judge, and I'm not only clearing your guilt, but actually I'm going to marry you. So imagine you go before the judge, and you're like, you know, I know I'm guilty, but I, I believe in Jesus. And, and so the judge says, okay, you're free. But by the way, I want to marry you. So that will bring dignity, right? And so this is what God did for us. God didn't stop only to forgive us. He says, you are the bride. So this is the first concept I want to I explain to you, that we are the bride of Christ. And so the bride feels dignity. You know, when I got married... I became 10 inches taller because I felt so proud. Because, and then you have the, the, the bride. In Romania, you know, there's always a wedding. People go outside, they take pictures. And when there's a wedding, everybody wants to see the bride. Nobody wants to see anybody else, even the bridegroom. Well, I want to see the bride. The bride is so gorgeous. You know, and I have two girls. And they are always talking about this. And the small one is nine, but she's always looking for the dresses. And she knows what dress she will wear when she will get married. Because she's looking forward. And the reason I married my wife is not because I don't have nobody else to marry. Or, but it's because she's special. And so when you choose a bride, she, be, she begins to have dignity. You know that there's uh, there was the wedding of uh, the queen, the you know the the princess in England, Kate Middleton, and all the wedding, and the whole world was watching on live stream this famous wedding. 
And the people who were invited, they were so privileged because they were invited to the wedding, the royal wedding. But the Bible says, blessed is he who will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because in that wedding, we're not only invited, but we're the bride. And so when you're the bride, it means that the bridegroom, loved, I mean, he likes you. I mean, you know, that's why he married you. It's not like I married my wife and I don't like her. It's the best thing that can happen to you when you understand God placed dignity upon me because we are the bride. When I preached the sermon in another church, there was a pastor's wife and asked me, how do you can relate to that? Because I'm a woman. I know how to be a, what it is to be a bride. But you're a man. How, how can you understand that? And I was thinking about that, and I said, well, actually, I think us men understand better than women. Because women, when they're bride, they feel that they're loved, but I don't know how much they feel it. But us, we know how much and how we feel towards our bride. For example, the kids, when you have kids, they don't understand the love of God better than the parents. When you have kids, then you understand, because you're gonna, you want to die for these kids. And then you're thinking to yourself, if God sees me the same, then he really loves me, because I'm looking at my kids. So it's not them that they understand the love of God. It's you that you understand because you're parents, right? So it's the same. Men understand better what it means to be the bride of Christ than women. Because I'm looking at my bride and what I feel in that moment, I say to myself, if God feels the same when he looks at me, then I'm, I'm in good shape. Then I'm loved. Then there's dignity. And that changes you. And that, the second concept, and it's very, very important, is the concept of adoption. So, why do you think I love my wife? And my kids. Probably you say, you know what? Because your wife is a good, great cook, which she is. But you know, suppose she's not. I don't love her anymore. I do. But why do I love her? You know, why do I love my kids? Oh, because probably they're great kids. Well, sometimes, <laughs> you know. I suppose they do something wrong. Do I still love them? Yes. Why? It's simple. Because they're mine. My wife and my kids are mine. Right? And because they're mine, they belong to me. That's the only reason I love them, regardless of what they do. They belong to me. And so adoption is very important for us to understand. Because adoption means that we become sons and daughters of God. But it's a problem because we're not, we adopted sons and daughters. God only has one son, right? That's Jesus Christ. But we also became the brothers and the sisters of Jesus Christ, but we are adopted. And there's a problem with adopted kids. They have a big problem to receive love from the family they are adopted in. In Australia, we have a pastor. Him and his sister were adopted, but they didn't know that. When they became 18, the parents told them, this is a lovely family, a Christian family. And these kids, they grew up, and they felt the love. I mean, you know. But then they told them, look, actually, you're not our kids. We adopted you. And the, the man, he took it well. He was like, you know what, I don't care. You love me, you know. And he became a pastor. But his sister, she didn't take it well. She immediately said, yeah, but why did my good parents left me? Why did they reject me? Why did they reject me before they even knew who I am or what I will do? I didn't have a chance to prove to them that I'm a good girl or a bad girl or whatever. They just Why? And she began to be dysfunctional. She began to say to this lovely family, I don't think you love me. 
I don't think you love me. How can you love me when my parents didn't love me? And she began to go down and down and down. She could never hold a marriage. She could never build strong relationships. When she would have a relationship, she would say to the man, when are you going to leave me? Come on, come on, leave me, leave me, because I'm not worthy. And the guy was like, no, I like you, I want to marry you. No, 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 don't, don't trick me. Why would you love me? My parents didn't love me. And so we have big problems because we are adopted. And we say, yeah, we're sons and daughters of God. Yes, I know, but we're adopted. We, we come from a past. And now we are in church. And I see Christians in church and they don't feel love. They say, there's no love in this church. Listen, if you don't feel love in the church, you're not going to feel love ever. Because people here are not perfect, but they do love you. Pastor loves you. But I have people in my church, they, they feel rejected. They, they have a hard time to accept the love from the new family. There was a, a girl who was adopted uh, in, a, in Moldova. We, uh, your pastor will know Pastor Vitali. Pastor Vitali is a pastor in Moldova. And Moldova is a nation, very broken nation. And she's having all these teenage girls and boys in his church, and they have horrible lives. So he has to drive them after church to drop them home. And they live in horrible conditions, you know, alcohol and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so, so Pastor Vital is bringing this girl home. She's 15. And she's not safe anymore because the father, you know, throws the knives. And, you know, this girl grew up. Uh, her job in life was uh, to hide the knives in the evening. And then when the father would go to work, she would bring out the knives to cook. And, but it's just horrible. And so Pastor Vitali says, I want to adopt you because I want to take you. I, I cannot leave you here in these conditions. You're going to die. So it's very easy in Moldova. I go to government and you say, I want to adopt somebody. They say, oh, that's good. And so they, the mother was like, oh, okay, you know, one less uh, portion of food. Uh, the mother was happy. You know, I don't have to feed her. And so now she goes to Pastor Vitali's house. And she's 15 and she's adopted, right? So she's sitting there in the house. But Pastor Vitali has two kids of her own, two daughters. And now she needs to become convinced that Pastor Vitali loves her the same as he loves the two daughters. But she's not convinced. Says, well, you love your daughters because they're your daughters. And then Pastor Vitali says, come and eat. And she says, no, I'm not hungry. Well, how, you know, how long can you say that? Because, you know, you're now in the new house. You're now with a new family. You're, but she was sitting in the corner. And she testified. It took her two years to understand that, yes, these are my brothers and sisters. And these are my parents. She now got married. She's a fine young man in church. They're a great couple. She might be 21 now, but it took her two years. Listen to what I'm trying to say. I want to challenge you to believe something that I, I don't believe myself, fully. God loves us the same as he loves Jesus Christ, his son. Because we're all the children. He says we're going to inherit with Jesus Christ. He's going to split the inheritance. Because when you adopt kids, when you have your own kids, then they split the inheritance equally. They're equal. But I'm thinking to myself, of course God loves Jesus because Jesus always obeyed him. Right? But again, do you think that that's why he really loves him? Because he obeyed? Well, he always obeyed. I mean, I mean it's... It's horrible to have a brother that is perfect. Can you imagine that? Do you remember Jesus had other brothers and sisters? That's horrible. Can you imagine that Mary and Joseph would say, why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> well, because my brother is the son of God, right? So we have this brother, Jesus, that is perfect. God loves him. 
and we're adopted, and we're not perfect, by far. But we need to believe that the way God sees his son, Jesus Christ, he also sees us, because we're adopted. And you can study yourself in the Bible. The doctrine of adoption is an incredible doctrine. And Apostle Paul was so excited when he wrote about it in Romans, in Galatians. He was so excited. He said to these guys, you, do you guys understand that we are not servants anymore? We are sons. Do you know what that means? In the Roman culture, people didn't adopt kids because they're orphans like we do today. The only reason somebody was adopted, it was for him to inherit because somebody didn't have a son uh, or he would have sons, but the sons were not up to any good. And he would take one of his servants, a good servant, and he said to him, I will make you my son because I want you to inherit everything I have. And so when Paul is writing to the Romans, who was the king? Nero. But Nero was an adopted son of Claudius. He was not the father. He was not the son. He was an adopted son. At a certain moment, he was a servant, but he was adopted that he became son. That's why he says we're not servants anymore, but we are sons. So normally you find a good servant and you pick, but God looked at us and we were sinners. We're not, we're not even his servants. But Paul says, and we're going to inherit his kingdom. We're going to inherit God's possessions because he made us sons. That will change your life. That, will, that understanding will change your life. You know, this business of being married, it's, it's almost unbelievable to think that you become one. Even in the Old Testament in Isaiah 54, God says to Israel, I'm your husband. Not only your God, your master, I'm your husband. And it's crazy because when we will be coming the bride of Christ, because now we're engaged, right? Or we'll become the bride. And then we'll be one with Christ. We'll be like him. We're just together. And that will be then, but now we need to live in that perspective. We need to ask God boldly. We need to come boldly to him. We need to come to God very relaxed as sons, as daughters. You know, growing up, I never asked my father for anything. I told you, it was not a good relationship. So I never said to him, can you please give me five bucks? Or, you know, never. I never asked him. I would say to my mother, can you ask my father if he allows me to go there? And my mother would come back to me. He said yes or he said no. But my father was suffering from this. And he would tell me, look, why don't you come to me? Ask me. I'll give you. I could not bring myself to ask him anything. Always through the mother. Just like through Mary, right? You know, it's a whole religion of people. You cannot talk to God. You need to go to Mary because Mary will ask God and he will come, she will come back with the answer because Mary is a woman and she is more emotional and she will understand and, you know, you cannot talk to God because he's father. But the father... So I remember being already a pastor and God spoke to me one morning very clearly in prayer. He says, why don't you ask me? Why don't you talk to me? And I said, well, I talk to you every day. He says, yeah, but it's business. It's business. God, I want you to do this. God, I love you. God, you're almighty. He says, you never talk to me. You never ask me. Like, you know, make me feel like a father. I find pleasure in giving you can you imagine that I go home right now with my wife and I bring some candies to, the, to, the, to my girls and I tell them, come and eat, and they will sit in a corner and say, no, maybe we're not worthy. Or, no, they will jump, you know, they will, they, they, you know, worthy or not, you know, there's candies there, you know. 
Actually, they will say, where are my candies? What did you bring? What did you buy? What present did you bring me? I said, why should I? Every time I go and preach and come home, did you bring me a present? I said, why? Is it your birthday? Or were you good? Or what? You know, they said, well, it's, it doesn't matter. It's another day. My, you know, nine-year-old says, I didn't eat nothing, no sweeties today. Only one ice cream today. I said, why, why should I give you something? And she's like, whoa, I'm your daughter. So this is the doctrine of adoption. Let me give you two illustrations, Michael. One is from Africa, one from Romania. In Africa, there's a, a terrorist organization, Boko Haram. Boko Haram means literally against education for, for girls. They don't believe girls should go to school. And so then they kidnap girls. They don't want to go. They want to go to school. They kidnap them, and so they take these women sometimes from a village, young women. They abuse them, they rape them, and then they bring them back in the village and dumps them, and they leave. So you imagine these girls. They come in the village. Their heads are dropped. They did not nothing wrong. They're not guilty, but they feel shame. And so what the rulers of the city did was very wise. They were thinking, how can we deal with this? And they, they made a law. And they said, if, if somebody from the village will speak down to these women, will say anything wrong to them, they'll be put to death. I want you to treat them normal. I want you to treat them like nothing happened. Don't make these comments. Don't put, you know, marry them, go on with life. And so these girls then had horrible memories, but they didn't feel shame. Because we can help people around us not to feel shame by the way we treat them. And the last one is from Romania. It's uh, back in the in time we had a king. And we had the landowners. These people uh, owned, uh, they owed, um, owned all the lands. And then the rest of people, they were the peasants. So they worked for the landowners. They were not slaves, per se, but they didn't have their own land. So they had to work for somebody to get food. And they were abused, these guys, these peasants. They were abused by the landowners. The landowners were very strong. They could put the king down sometimes. They, were, they had power. And so the king will somehow disguise and go and among the peasants to see what's going on. And one of the peasants, he recognized the king, and he said to the king, hey, king, the landowner spitting in my face. And the king said, oh, I'm sorry. Where did, you, where did he spit you? And he says, right here. And then the king reached over and kissed him in the same spot. And the king said to him, where the landowner spit on you, the king kissed you. Now your shame is taken away. Because the king is bigger than the landowner. And so where the devil is spitting in your face, Jesus is kissing you in the same spot. He says, there. I take the shame away. It's very shameful to be, you know, to have spit in your face. One of the most shameful things you can do. That's why they spit on Jesus. They spit him. They spit on him. And Jesus took the shame. Remember, he was naked on the cross. He didn't, you know, the cross, when you study the cross, it's powerful because it's not only forgiveness. Everything that happened to him physically has an expression for our spirituality. And one of the things he suffered, he suffered shame. He says he despised that shame because he was looking beyond the cross. So he was looking forward not only to pain on the cross, but to shame. That he will take our shame 
And he says, you know what? You are my bride. You are my sons and daughters. I'm not ashamed, he said, to call you my brother. And he goes to the father with a human body. And says, Father, you sent me, and now I'm coming back with all these guys. Here's my bride. I'm, I'm identifying with them. Me, myself, have a human body. Do you know that Jesus will have a human body forever? He took a body, and he didn't leave it here. He took it up. He became also a man. That's, my, that's how he loved us. And that will deal with your shame. Jesus is the biggest. And if he kisses you, it doesn't matter who spits on you. If he kisses you, shame is taken away. Let's pray. Let's pray and just believe God and we're going to come to the altar. And what I want you to do when you come to the altar to pray, God, help me to understand deeper the way you see me. Help me to understand. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.